Hello one, hello all. Welcome back on the island. Oh my gosh, we're back. Survivor, week number nine. Edge of Extinction, season 38. Things are happening and things are ramping up as we near the final few weeks of Survivor. And we're back to talk some more about it here on the island. I'm Taylor Gaines, your host. This week, just me and the man who's always by my side. He was worried he wouldn't be able to podcast today because he just keeps knocking his balls off. It's Tyler B. Commons. <laughs> wow, that sounds super painful. But you know what? I, I really have one big question that came from this episode. And that is, it was week nine, episode 10. I, I can explain this. But are we really on episode 11 now? Not episode, like... 10 even though there's only been nine weeks but there was a double episode in a week and now we had a double vote out in a single episode so are we like episode 10 and a half or are we episode 11 or are we episode nine where are we at the risk of confusing the hell out of everyone there have been nine weeks of this show and 10 hours <laughs> therefore survivor likes to say that this was episode 10 but it was just the ninth week but there's been 11 vote outs right Sorry, there's been 11 vote aways because no one's vote out aways <laughs> I mean, you could tell by my intro that I'm more interested in the fact that Jeff just has been referring to balls at an inordinate rate this season <laughs> in a way that almost feels intentional. There has been a lot of reference, you know, sometimes it just takes a lot of balls to go out and be simultaneously the best and worst host. <laughs> but I felt like there was a lot of best this week. You got to nut up and commit to what you're doing. <laughs> I'm going to stop with male anatomy references and jokes that's it that's all you're getting from me (laughs) fine all right well let's talk about survivor ty two people as you mentioned go home this week and spoilers obviously two returners the final two returners and of course when i say go home i mean go to extinction island but how do you feel they did it they the newbies took out all the old bees yeah, and that's been the theme we've been talking about all season. A lot more than Edge of Extinction, we've been talking about these four returners, and I'm happy to see them all gone. I, You know, I like David. I really like David. I like Joe. I like Aubrey. I could have lived without seeing Wendy again. Wendy. <laughs> I don't miss her much, actually. <laughs> um, Wentworth again. But you know what? Now they're out. And we finally get to learn who all these new people are and the kind of strategy that they have. And I'm I'm really happy that I finally feel like I'm going to have an opportunity to know who these new people are. Yeah, I think we've gotten an opportunity to know a lot of them. But to your point, oh, for it's, sure. it's good that we are now like... I almost feel like the game is fresh now. Although there's a chance that any of those four people could come back since they're all just sitting on the edge of extinction waiting for a chance but i'm excited to have a group of newbies like as wardog pointed out in this episode the success rate of returning players is just kind of insane if you look at the statistics these were compiled by dalton ross entertainment weekly i'm sure there are other places too but in the seven seasons that there have been returning players prior to this one 11 out of 39 returnees that's 28.2 percent made it all the way to the end while new players in those seasons 
Only 8 of 93 made it, which is 8.6%. That means returning players were 3.5 times more likely to make it to day 39 than the newbies. And Wardog made that case to Ron. He said, they always make it. We got to take them out. And they ultimately decided to. Yeah, and it's it's nice to see. The feeling I had after this episode is the feeling that I normally have, like, after the merge happens when, you know, it's not a basketball co- podcast, but to use an analogy, like, the playoffs are here and they're finally started and we get to see, like, who's going to make it to the end. And I feel like now that we don't have the shadow of these returners hanging over us, now that LeBron and the Lakers didn't make it, we get to find out what these other teams are made of. And I'm really excited to see people like Ron, like the War Dog, like Victoria, and, you know, just people getting to think on their own and be their own players not worrying about oh well how did i sound to kelly how did i sound to david like no gloves off let's go i don't think that analogy checks out because in the nba the golden state warriors still exist yeah but like collectively those five starters really four of them are as famous as lebron and whatever it's not a basketball podcast Ty, I thought it was interesting that they've kind of crammed this all into one episode. Like, <laughs> two of the bigger players of the season sent home in one hour. I assume, I was thinking about this, because they had a double episode, and now they've done a double tribal episode. I assume this has something to do with the fact that someone's still going to be coming back, right? Like, they, it seems like they're voting out more people this season, but it's actually because they're also bringing back people. Yeah, they brought back Devins, and now they got to bring back one more person is what we've been told. And it it's funny because I've seen a lot of talk around Survivor and around the show lately about like, no, we need 90-minute episodes, and we need to see more, and we need to see like what's happening. And, and weirdly, they went like the exact opposite direction in this episode where they were like, oh, no, we're going to give you uh, 22-minute episodes, and then... You're going to have to figure out what happens and wait for, you know, next week. But Obviously, we as podcasters would love 90-minute episodes. But I did think, like, everything was straightforward enough this week after the debacle of last week's Tribal Council that 22 minutes felt like enough to kind of follow what was happening. Oh, for sure. We definitely got to see the story of the, the people that went home and the people surrounding them. So they did a good job telling us everything. But, you know, like we said, last week they had that, beautifully awkward moment where it just showed them all sitting around tribal really quietly doing nothing and there was none of that this episode which made it really entertaining but at the same time you missed a little more backstory and only had some strategy yeah they rushed some backstory and like in the first half of the episode when aurora was talking about everyone going on walks but her to go talk about their strategy and she was like well you know growing up in the foster care system i'm good at being alone and it was just one of those awkward survivor there's there needs to be a word for it when there's survivor exposition where someone's just sitting on a rock and then all of a sudden they're like i've been divorced three times and (laughs) having been through that struggle i feel like i can outlast everyone on this island because i know what it's like to outlast relationships or something (laughs) and I just, those always crack me up, even though they're supposed to not be funny, I guess. These are real people. I love them all. But Ty, I um, I want to talk about the first half of the episode first, if that 
sounds completely logical. It almost sounded too logical when I said it out loud. It flows well. But David, fighting for his life in a very clear-cut, hey, let's either vote out David or let's vote out War Dog decision. And he, interestingly, even before you get into the discussion of that strategy, almost won immunity, fought it out with Aurora, and wasted his idol last week with Devin's, their unified idol. Devin's technically played it for him, but he probably would have done the same this week, I assume. And it was funny to hear him say at the beginning of the episode, ah, it was a wasted idol, but who cares? It was the right move. Uh, because obviously a mere 20 minutes later, you realize, well, maybe not. Maybe that's not true. Could have saved him. And that's the thing about Survivor. You never know if you've made a right move. Like, we talked about Carl and his idol nullifier with him and stuff. Like, everything has to align perfectly. And sometimes you're going to throw an idol out there when you don't know what's happening and with the crazy, hectic almost full rewrite of the tribal council last week on the spot, he didn't feel safe. And he's been on the bottom for a while. They've been trying to get rid of him for a while because he is good at the game. And you're right. Like you said, it came back to bite him in the butt, but like he has no way of knowing that we, he doesn't get to see every conversation that everyone else has. He just gets to know the conversations that he's a part of. So I mean, you feel for the guy that he used an idol when he didn't have to, but it's also like, come on, what more do you want? Like, he can't predict everyone else's vote. He knew he was in trouble, and he played it when he thought he was going home, and he would have gone home. But you, once you use an idol, you don't have another one, and, you know, he's done. It's just weird because it runs counter to the story Julia was putting out where she said it was obvious by that point when they went into the vote that she was the one who was probably going to go, which is why she yelled out, shut up war dog or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there was definitely a lot of chaos happening there. So you can't really fault them. We can talk more later about whether you can fault Wentworth Wentworth for not playing her idol. It's sort of a, you know, it's, it's Monday morning quarterbacking with these idols, but mm-hmm. the core six we saw come together during that chaos last week wound up sticking together to take out David, which was mainly Kelly, Lauren, Wardog, a three who have been tight the entire game, Ron and Julie, a pair, and Gavin, who they brought in. Also, Victoria and Aurora voted alongside them, but they were definitely not a part of that main conversation. The thing we saw unfold in the first half of this episode, which we can dive into a little more specifically in the second half with Ron, was we saw Ron and Julie basically in the middle between what last week I declared were the two most powerful groups in the game, which was Devons and David and the Lesu three, because those felt like very unified alliances. And sure enough, it faced off between them, essentially like Devons and David were targeting war dog and the Lesu three were targeting David and Victoria, Aurora, Ron and Julie were floating around in the middle, but Mainly Ron and Julie were the key swing votes. Julie was hesitant about going with Lesu, but obviously had been burned by different people in different ways. And Ron was relishing the opportunity to be in the middle. What did you think of their decision to go with the Lesu three on the first vote? Yeah, when I was watching that and they had that kind of alliance of six, 
And I really liked what War Dog said in that meeting where he's like, let's get the six and then we'll all fight it out there. You guys know that that's what's going to happen. Like, yeah, that works out. That that's what's going to happen. Yeah, it, it didn't work out well for him. But I loved how realistically realistic he was saying that because it wasn't like the debacle we saw last week where it was like, oh, just get the family visit, just get the family visit, and then we'll work there. He was like, straight up, guys, all you got to do is make it here with us, and then what yeah, looks Kelly, like Yeah, Kelly, all you got to do is <laughs> join the six, and we're good. Well, but what looked like the Lesu three of Lauren Kelly and Wardog, if they had stuck with that strategy, all they had to do is get one swing vote, and then they're in the final three. So they just have to get one person of the other three, whoever that might be, Gavin, Devins, Ron, Julie, Victoria, whatever one they ended up having with them, like to side with them. So it was a really clear path for them. But to get to like Ron and Julie, Ron is been derailed. We always talked about how, how he was the power player early on in that kumbaya kama type tribe but since he's been derailed i don't think he's ever been the target if that helps because he has been the swing vote and if you can maintain that swing vote position and always you know kind of go back and forth i guess between the two power alliances then you've got people on both sides and if you can make it to the end you have an awesome argument for you were on the right side of every vote. You were on the right side of every tribe. Like He has been playing super duper well, and the fact that he's carrying Julie with him, who, you know, in the edit kind of looks like she's just a vote that goes wherever Ron goes. I think he's played about as well as he can without being in, you know, like a typical power position, but he's in a power position of he needs to be on whatever vote happens. I like his narrative because he definitely drove the game a lot in the early merge stages. I guess not very long because they turned on each other very quickly. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm even misremembering. Was Eric the first one voted out at the merge or was it Aubrey? It was Aubrey, right? I I believe it was Aubrey quickly followed by Eric. Ron and Eric set the table for all the blind sides by voting out Aubrey and then, obviously, Eric was blindsided, leaving Ron to play Ron the Walrus for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> but I like this idea that like he hit a major bump in the road and recovered and has now found himself in a place where he's controlling his own destiny with all these swing boats and stuff. And like we talked about last week, the people who keep winding up on top find themselves in danger very quickly because this is a game now where if you make yourself known or a target, then you are targeted very quickly. And Ron is one of the safer feeling people right now because he's in that middle spot. And I liked this move for him because, like you said, that Lesu 3 is strong and him and Julie are strong. And it felt to me like just being able to work his way in there and not be clearly on the bottom would be helpful because he probably was aware that War Dog is really aggressive and it would come to his benefit at some point. Uh, little did he know it would be within the same hour. But um, I think him and Julie are doing well, but they definitely are editing Julie to 
seem more driven by like just what she's feeling that day like there was a couple lines where they kept showing her like oh we just we gotta vote her there's no debate about it or whatever Mm -hmm. and she also is extending this plain analogy to just ridiculous lengths at this point i think she (laughs) said she would eject from the plane and like fly her own plane or something (laughs) i feel how much further can we go with this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I think it's time to let that analogy die. But I also, there was a really good, um, I think it was a Dalton Ross piece. I, I'm not sure. I read a bunch of them. Just talking about, you know, last week's tribal and Julie and, you know, Julia to some extent really, I think Jeff said they are withering away and they haven't had food and like they're not thinking clearly. And you're starting to see that now. Like, I think Julie is probably decent at this game but like lack of food lack of sleep it looks like it is getting to her a lot more than it's getting to others and if ron can just kind of keep that in check and keep her with him for you know one maybe two more votes i think that you know that's all that he really needs out of her and unless something changes that seems like that's the narrative that she's gonna get this season the one thing I want to say about David now that he's on his way sort of out the door <laughs> is, gosh, he's great. Like, it's so cool watching him go from the unconfident, nervous guy he was at the beginning to just, like, knowing that he knows how to play this game and just kind of owning it. He did have a few false moments in Tribal. Like, there was a point where he said, my brand is loyalty, and everyone just laughed in his face. Yeah. But... His composure in that moment was just like really cool to watch having seen him over the years and he pulls out all these great lines like how deep must our ship sink before the rest of us realize we're drowning and <laughs> I'll just miss him I mean I know he'll still be around in this particular season but uh I'll miss him as a narrator and a TV character for sure. Yeah, I liked his one moment. I think it was talking to Julia where he said you know, everybody, and trust me, I've I've had this before. Everybody on the flight back to America is like, what was that one conversation that I could have, you know, done something differently? And my entire game would have changed. And, I mean, that's a good argument. That's a fun argument. And it makes for great TV. And that's not the first time like, we've seen him pull that out either. He pulled it no, out to No, I'm pretty sure he pulled a it out once or twice or something. Um, but I, I like... Yeah, I like David as a character. David seems like he's super fun now. Um, not that he wouldn't be super fun earlier, but like now that he's confident in the way he went out of the game where he was like, guys, no hard feelings. I came and I played, you know, the best that I knew how to play. And I think I've made more friends like he made last time. So I, no regrets for David. He's always a fun guy to have on. And like we talked about, we'll just have to see whether that will be a conversation Julie looks back on with regret. And uh, I think we're both slightly optimistic at this point, but we feel like maybe Ron has a bit of an edge in that duo. Mm -hmm. As to the rest of this episode, there was one brief edge moment where they searched for an advantage, and they have been clever this year in not just showing one narrator, and you're like, oh, well, that's the person who's going to find it, because they cut to a couple different people, which which was nice. Making you think, oh, maybe this is the person. No, oh, no, maybe this. Uh, no, <laughs> back to David. And David found the advantage, which gave Devons a pretty big leg up in the dimple challenge. 
he only had to land four balls in the holes compared to everyone else having to land five. At first, I was like, that doesn't seem like that big a deal because if this is hard, then there's not going to be any market difference between four and five. But watching it play out, it actually did feel pretty unfair. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it cut out 20% of the challenge for him. Like, if you think about it in that sense, that's a huge chunk to cut out. And it also helped that he was good at the challenge because, let's be honest, if David sent it to, like, Aurora or Victoria, who might have ended with no balls in the dimples, what a weird phrase that I thought I would probably never say in my life, <laughs> then... You know, the advantage is meaningless. It helps that Devins is somewhat of a challenge threat and is competing out there because even when he screwed up and I think dropped his third ball twice, he still stuck with it and came like he had a comeback win of sorts. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge advantage. It cuts out, like I said, 20% of everything he had to do. It was almost like the biggest advantage I've seen besides, you know, an extra vote or whatever. How do you feel about the fact more generally that we have mostly had immunity challenges that are just like standing on something and holding something else? Well, I feel like that was a really good challenge. I mean, we know when it gets to individual immunity, this is generally the types of challenges you have are balance and hold this block on your head or stand on this little beam of wood for four hours. The one in the very first immunity that Aurora won was balancing this urn full of water and this flag and you had to hold these poles at the exact right height and I mean, that's just what you're going to get. Kind of these endurance challenges mixed with a little bit of balance, mixed with a little bit of strength. And I don't know. I mean, I can't knock it because it gives everybody a shot at it. But I I don't know. I, I don't have strong feelings because I, I know what I'm going to get by this point in Survivor. Um, it, it is what it is. Yeah. I don't know. I would just like more challenges with movement personally but if you still have a huge challenge threat like joe and the thing is okay well swim from this platform yeah but there are different dive. advantages to different things like you those type of things usually have a puzzle at the end and maybe someone's better at a puzzle and then like obviously the balance things typically favor people who can do balance things like <laughs> i don't know i feel like no matter what you do there's going to be certain people who have skill sets that are fit to it Regardless, Devins came away with immunity, and things actually got interesting after that, where most people in that core six we mentioned before were like, hey, let's vote out Aurora, it's easy, everybody wants to sit with her at the end, and that's a spot I could have, which is a mindset more people have taken on in recent years, I think, rather than like, let's try to bring the person to the end who's not going to win, they're like, hey, that's my spot, and... That was, I guess, the logic for voting for her. And, of course, Wardog, the poker player that he is, decided, hey, this is the chance to do something. Everyone is laying back. Kelly is so comfortable she won't even play her idol. So <laughs> let's take out the last returner. Yeah, Wardog made a huge move. And props to the editing because it was like, well, I got this plan. And, uh, oh, by the way, I had these conversations. And then they went and showed him talking to everybody yeah, for like 30 that. seconds. 
and uh that's really fun editing it's, it's interesting to know that they felt so low on the totem pole that he was comfortable doing that like none of them thought to run and blow things up mm-hmm. which i it, it just is a good indicator i think of the status that they were currently at in the game right Oh, yeah. It was like, oh, not me? Sure. Yeah, I'm on board. Please pick me, Wardog. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I mad props to him for making the move. And it's a big move, and it's a fun move for TV. But it felt too early, especially if you have the core six and the argument I made, you know, 15 minutes ago. You don't have to blow that up. You're the three in the six person. Like, you have the strong three that you can be with. All you have to do is get Julie to turn on Ron or get Gavin to turn on Julie or, you know, whatever it is. And then you three have the clearest path to the final three of anyone I can think of in recent history, at least. So it was fun. It was a good move. He executed it super well. I just felt a little too early for me. I think he definitely cleared the path for everyone when it comes to returners but i also worry it might have been too soon i think though his logic seems to be and this might work that there are so many individual people now that he feels like he can wrangle it because the votes that have been orchestrated over the last several weeks sometimes by him have led to a world where victoria is basically on her own devins is basically on his own Gavin lost his closest ally several weeks ago, so he's just been kind of floating around. Aurora's on her own. Lauren's on her own. That's five people who, like, don't really have a ride or die anymore, as Ron called Julie this week. So you still have those two over there, but there are so many individual operators that maybe Wardog made a calculated decision to just work within that construct, and it could pay off. This is where the fun kind of narrative could come in that war dog (laughs) could possibly be the best survivor player ever to play the game if he knew to divide and conquer and to pick out everybody's like key alliances to where you just left with a a jumbled up group of people that like maybe they kind of like this person but war dog could easily talk them and say look stick with me we're going final three like it's gonna happen now, do I fully believe that? No, I haven't seen it happen yet. I even you think heard it here first. N- next week, War Dog, might maybe come... the best player ever. <laughs> I think next week he might even come under fire. But if he has the forethought to recognize that and be able to literally manipulate every single person out there, that's some genius next level stuff that I don't know if I've ever seen. Yeah, I just thought, like, it seemed almost too poetic reading through that list of, like, how alone all these people are. I was like, wow, did he plan that? <laughs> um, I mean, he obviously wasn't involved in every single one of those votes, but he uh, he helped them along for sure. I, I found it interesting, too, in Fishback's column, he made the point of how hard it is for viewers to know how contestants perceive people's winner chances. Mm-hmm. Like... Oftentimes, someone who's seen as a huge threat to win the game might get voted out early, and as a result, they won't get a very big edit, and then it becomes impossible for us to know who seemed like a real contender at the time, because we're seeing it once the story is complete. 
Well, and that's the argument I'd love to make about Julia last week. Everybody was like, oh, we got to yeah, get rid of her. Yeah, she's yeah, so exactly. good at this game. Like, she's the best. And I was, like, sitting here going, well, they haven't shown my winner pick at all all season. Like, what is she doing to everybody think that she's the biggest threat? So, yeah, like you said, you can't you can't dedicate well, a whole lot of time to somebody the, that's not going to be relevant, even if they really were relevant. The reason I say that, though, is a lot of the interviews we've seen with people talking about the war dog is people saying like wow he's just too aggressive he's he's kind of wild i never know what he's going to do next and we've heard this throughout the year like oh he just keeps coming up with these plans and they're a little crazy and i wonder if the perception of him is like just that he's kind of a wild card and no one takes him seriously as a as a as a real strategic threat like they might view him as more of a loose cannon and yet the way it's being presented in the narrative is like much more maniacal <laughs> yeah well i even think that that might be true because Aubrey, who you know we both claim is really good at the game, in the middle of Tribal Council, or I guess not in the middle, at the end of Tribal Council, when Kelly was walking out, they looked over at Aubrey and Aubrey was like, "Holy bleep, War Dog!" <laughs> like, whole, she knew exactly that War Dog made this happen, and the only way he could make it happen was he had to plant these little seeds in the minds of people without totally walking away from his alliance because we know Kelly has been kind of suspecting War Dog at least a little bit. We've gotten to hear her say that I think once or twice this season. And, you know, the fact that a great player like Aubrey is like, holy crap, War Dog is freaking crushing this just shows how much stronger the perception of him is out there than it is sitting back here watching it. Like we don't get to see everything he's doing, but apparently he's but, doing something right and they know it. Well, at least the people on the jury do. Cause that's my point. That was my initial point is I don't know if everyone knows it necessarily or agrees with it, but the other person involved in this is Ron who I don't think this would have quite happened without, right? It was five, four, the final vote. Mm-hmm. So he had to decide to deter to turn on his closest ally Julie without her knowing about it. And as Stephen Fishback pointed out, we've seen what happens when Julie feels betrayed, and who knows if that's going to cause a stir. But again, second time in this episode, found himself in the middle and decided to go with War Dog. How'd you feel about Ron Part Two? <laughs> Ron Part Two, and this is where I think Ron is a genius in. Th- playing that Man, you're kind throwing of up free big agent stuff role. Today, Ty. Dude, like they, War Dog might be the greatest player ever. Ron is a genius. There, well, there was big moves and big choices made and it was like how can you not recognize that Ron's game completely got derailed, but he's shifted and he's made every right choice since then. And even if his vote didn't go his way. I'm thinking a few weeks ago. Gosh, Eric. who was it? Eric was voted out. But you know what? He moped for a little while, and then he got right back on it, and he's like, okay, well, I guess my position is I'm going to play like this guy that's just willing to be a free agent vote and ride the storm and until I get my shot. And this week, I feel like he got his shot handed to him by War Dog, and he took it. Like He's playing really, really well right now. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's interesting this question of 
our survivors becoming too blindside happy? Because Jeff talked in his interview this week about having seen a lot of tribal councils and having come to expect that most of what people are telling him are very well-rehearsed lies. They're so good at lying. I don't really even consider if they're telling me the truth or not. I just follow the story they're telling. So based on that idea, it would seem that most blindsides are very well-planned, well-rehearsed, and then executed with excruciating detail to ensure that they work, to ensure that they work, and that they have maximum impact when they do. Meaning, he doesn't think it is this kind of like willy-nilly, let's just blindside people thing. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know. It doesn't look that way. It looks like people are kind of just in love with blindsides, which I think is why we've seen so many people make a big move and then immediately get voted out because they're not thinking about whether the blindside helps them or not long term. Although in this case, like we were talking about with all the individualization of everyone that happened, I think War Dog might have been thinking about it. But I don't know. Do you think this is a trend? It definitely seems like a trend of people wanting to have a a resume type move something they can get to final three but yeah it is tough having burned so many bridges but I still think if you're a good enough player we talked about a few weeks ago them not doing damage control really well we have to see the fallout from this week because there was David was not a blindside but Kelly being this huge massive blindside we have to see how war dog and lauren interact we have to see what gavin thinks now that you know that six exploded Uh, like what are we gonna do and i think war dog it seems like he has the ability to talk to people and get them to see his way of thinking it seems like ron is willing to at least talk to people and figure out and find a new path going forward. And like we said, with everybody being individual next week, we're going to have to learn where alliances lie. And if there are any alliances or are we literally starting the game over right now, which to me is kind of what it feels like. Yeah. It's really interesting because like I was, I was listing all those names that have been isolated and I didn't even think about the fact that Ron by joining war dog, might have isolated himself from Julie, meaning it really might just be a total individual thing. But how can you not do if that move if you're Ron, right? Because you're breaking up this Lesu 3 that looks like the most dangerous group out there into sure. effectively one. <laughs> uh, one, one, I mean. Mm-hmm. But we should talk about Wentworth a little bit. I mean, she had an idol and just took it home. Yeah, you hate to see that. But uh, hate honestly, to see it. She, she had no way of knowing. If it was as sneaky as the edit made us believe it was, War Dog said 20 words Her to instincts other people. were trying to tell her, man. She was order. sitting on the beach and she was like, things are too calm. That usually means something's going on. And she's still just like, ah, couldn't, couldn't quite do it. Yeah, and this goes back to like what I've been saying at least the last two weeks. I don't know that... I really enjoy watching Kelly play the game because she has a lot of insight and she says a lot of stuff, but she doesn't. And maybe I could be wrong in her first two seasons. She was more active, but this season she's been really like inactive. Just sit back and watch things and criticize from afar. Not like, 
the go-getter, not like what Wardog was, not like what Ron tried to be till his game got derailed, not what David and Devins have been trying to do. Like, she seemed like she sits back, and, you know, she had no reason to believe that Wardog was going to turn on her. I think they said 27 days they've been together, so... And voted together every time. For 28, for almost a month, if we're counting February as a real month. We'll talk about that later. They, Off the air. The, they voted together the whole time why would she expect him to turn now and you know maybe he played her i don't know so now we're left with just lauren with an immunity idol and sort of aurora with an extra vote i guess she gave it to ron what what was that move about (laughs) she needed to build trust because she knew that she was on the bottom so it felt like she just assumed she was going home like that felt like a real desperation play yeah, and she could have used her double vote to like pull out a tie because I'm pretty sure numbers were even and I, I don't know. She had a lot of options and I don't Yeah, it was 5-4. I don't quite understand. It, it okay, yeah. So it was 5-4. But she four. also wound up voting for Kelly, so it wouldn't it would have been unnecessary. Right. So I I mean, I don't really know. I don't really understand why you would give your advantage away. We talk about it. Just don't give your advantage away. I don't care Guys, if how close just, you are. Don't let them know. Just keep Lauren Yeah, how Kelly, about Kelly guess, at the end of the episode gets to Edge of Extinction and says, Hey, everybody, Lauren has an immunity idol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe she has some understanding because, like, what are the Extinctioners going to do with that bit of info? Like nothing well, except for maybe the tribal one person and who gets she's back in it. might know if if she still has it at that point. I don't know. It might yeah. mean nothing. I I'm ready for extinction to be over. We talked about this with Jess last week, but like I think they need to bring the person back in and, and get the game going because it's it's getting too close now. Mm-hmm. And I would even argue I think they need to get the person back in and tell the others that you're not actually on the jury. Because if Reem makes the jury being voted out 24 hours after the game started... That's not going to happen. Like, that's I just not, don't not gonna, see that they, that's fair. They're not going to start the jury with nine people left. The jury would only be like six people. It would be insane. Okay, but in a season of unprecedented things, why not? You know what I'm he's saying? already said they're on the jury too many times. It doesn't matter. That could be a giant TV blindside. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't. That would be make, stupid. It doesn't make sense to me that you can it send someone You're home right. 48, 72 hours, whatever after the game starts. They have no impact in the game at all. They just sit there and they watch tribal. They don't get to see conversations. They hear I what mean, the you last can make person the same argument out says. For, you can make the same argument for a normal jury, though. Like if someone gets voted out at the merge, they're not involved in anything that's happening for the last like. 20 days and they still get to decide like where do you cut it off but at least they're involved when it becomes an individual game at least they're involved when you know your alliances are more than just your tribes you know what i'm saying i don't know for me that's just where i stand i really want them to not include a lot of the early people i i mean honestly i would be okay if Someone comes back next week and everyone else is not actually on the jury. But like you said, it doesn't sound likely. But for I think me I even remember Jeff saying at one point that if people, 
if everyone wanted to stay in, they could. Like, I, I remember him saying in the preseason that the jury could have as many as 15 people on it. Yeah, and you know what? It might, and it might work out, but for me, I just don't like that. I don't like that idea. Well, we'll see how it plays out. I imagine you'll be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, I want to know what did not disappoint you this week, Ty. Who who made it into your vaunted power ranking slots as we wrap up the episode here? The final returners depart the main island, David and Kelly. And we are left with a pretty small group at this point. Eight people remain. Julie, Lauren, Gavin, Aurora, Rick, Victoria, Wardog, and Ron. Who's your number three? Number three, and uh, I feel like I'm just saying this because he won immunity. Uh, Rick Devins. Wow, what do you mean? <laughs> Rick Devins. I feel like Rick Devins... Um, is in a powerful position and this could be me leaning too heavy on scenes from the next episode. But I just think that he is set up with a chance to come back strong, even though he's been doing that for the past four or five weeks or whatever it is. I I just feel like he's not been hurt by the last two votes. And he's been shown that I think David talking to him at the well actually got through and he's done playing purely with emotion he's using smarts and i think that's going to allow him to adapt and continue to play well so i he's taking my number three spot this week i actually also have him number three he's just been such a to steal their analogy pilot in every single tribal council he's always (laughs) dictating the narrative he's making things happen he's shaking things up even when he's on the bottom and i feel like people are starting to respect that he's a real player and giving him some rope to climb on and I don't not comfortable having him any higher than number three, but like given what we've seen from him, I feel better about him than <laughs> I guess I shouldn't just list all the names, but everyone else who's not in my top three. <laughs> yeah, it's it was kind of a weird um top three to pick this week because I feel like and you know, we could disagree, but I feel like one and two are fairly clear and then below that I was like, I think Devin's feels pretty good. Yeah, my number two is Ron. I think, like I talked about, and I have talked about on previous seasons even, I love a person who is in the middle. I think that's a great spot. It keeps the target off of you. He also has enough of a resume leading a major alliance that he could build off that in some way. He still needs to make a couple big things happen, I think, in order to get a winner's resume. But I feel pretty good about where he's at. Yeah, I'm... For the same reasons, I had Ron number two. He He's playing well. Being in the middle is a, a good position, especially if you can pull it off week after week after week. So for that reason, I have him number two. I imagine our number one might be pretty similar then. I, I would have to guess that. Let's uh, say it on the count of three. All right. One, two, two three. three. Reen. Duh. Oh, I'm just kidding. War Dog, for sure. Yeah, I was just saying his first name, the 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 War Dog. Yeah, War Dog made it happen this week. He's been making it happen for weeks behind the scenes. Been it's borrow another analogy they use. He's been the puppet master. <laughs> He's been the pilot. He's there been are no strings the on me. Shark eating the minnows, whatever you want to use him that they've talked about this the season. The minnows eating the poop. He's been he's been all of it. So War Dog for me number 1 this week. 
Yeah, and I don't want to belabor it because we've talked about him at great length in this episode, but the only question now is, was it too soon? Was it too soon, or is he literally the greatest player of all time? The GOAT. <laughs> Stay tuned <laughs> to find out. Yeah, good good work for War Dog, and still the most reliably fascinating and confusing Twitter account out of everyone. <laughs> A couple notes, actually, Ty, that I saw in the news this week. Kelly, with her vote out becomes the second most voted against player of all time, surpassing Ozzy and Sierra, Sierra Easton, on the list of most voted for players ever. Andrea Bolke, number one with 36 votes against Kelly, second with 35. Andrea had 36 votes against her? How did I never know that? Three full seasons, man. I guess that's just what happens. The other thing I noticed this week from Entertainment Weekly, we talked about Dalton Ross before. He did some reporting on what happened to Jeff's words of wisdom at the end of Tribal Council? And the answer is pretty simple. They just cut them because they wanted to show people walking off to uh, the edge of extinction. Jeff said, yes, I still said them. And they cut them for time, obviously. And he said, no, I don't miss them. I miss them, Jeff. (laughs) And uh, some news this week that we should probably comment on. Did you see this, Ty? We should comment on this. (laughs) Survivor... Season 40, which will film in the upcoming months and air next spring, will be the long-awaited competition between nothing but sole survivors. I am really excited. I, What survivors are they going to bring? Because there's been 40 seasons and max 20 people. So I guess Rob won twice. I don't think Rob has any reason to come back. Yeah, our friend Andy Dennard at Reality Blur did the math for us here. There have been 36 people who have won Survivor. That's because Sandra Diaz-Twine won twice, and we don't know who won this season yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to read the whole list. There's a lot of people to choose from. I can link to it in the show notes here so that you can go look through it. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating. uh, Jeff was previously against this idea in the past. He said as a producer he thought it was a bad idea. But... uh, I guess he gave in. It's going to happen. Yeah, and I i mean, I'm excited to see these people. Like, it'd be fun to have Richard Hatch back, although I feel like he would never want to be there. <laughs> Other names just, stick out. Boston it's Rob. Be, but... I'm excited to see, like, a hierarchy of people who some of them are, like, great winners and some of them are not. <laughs> and yeah. who learned from the first time and who got to their head too much, like... We, there's a good chance we could be surprised by people who we weren't impressed by when they won, and it could play out well. And like we talked about extensively this season, it's always better to have all returners or all newbies because the mixes are just... The, the, the field gets too tilted. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's exciting. Uh, that's obviously going to be a really momentous thing. 20 years on the air, 40 full seasons of Survivor. There will be one more in between that, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about. But yeah, maybe we can do, just do uh, season forty and call it call it a just call it a wrap. You know, I sure hope not. <laughs> I want this to continue till I die. All right. Well, I don't want this podcast to continue till I die. This particular episode, at least. So let's call it right there. We will leave it. Ty, any words for the people? No. That was infuriating, whatever just happened.
Thank you all for listening. Go write us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Let people know you love the show. Tell, tell your friends about it. Have them come listen. Join us here on the island. For Tyler B. Commons, I'm Taylor P. Gaines. Everyone's going on walks but me. So I'm going to go take one myself. Good night and goodbye. Take it away, Levi. Just kidding. That was a callback. Not anymore. <laughs> forever, forever and a day ago. Bye. Good callback. Good at making these things up as well. <laughs> that is uh, okay. okay, so today I was doing this thing at work where we're gonna have color wars and we had to plan it and last year we did a, we did this thing where we had to throw up like the colored powder in the air. Like people jump around, I don't know. Jump around. And uh we did the song Turn Down for What? Because, you know, there's like a very clear, obvious time where something exciting should happen. So I was like, okay, that's easy. Do the Harlem so, Shake. So today for like an hour, I found this YouTube video that said, best drops 2018. And it was about 15 to 20 second segments of songs <laughs> and their drops. And I just listened to that nonstop. How was and I it? I thought I was going to die. Most of them are bad. Well, okay. They're good, but I really like a lot of bass in my EDM drops. This, and a lot of them are like... Have, I, I want something that's like... Whoa, whoa, whoa. You have to understand this is just... This is a world I don't even understand. That's okay. I just wanted you to feel... My pain. 